0: It looks good out there this morning. All right. Amen. So glad that you are in the house of the Lord this morning. All right. Sunday morning. Amen. And uh, we are going to have. Uh, there, I don't know how many people will show up tonight. A lot of people are gone and different things. But nevertheless, we'll have prayer meeting right here at five thirty. Five thirty to six thirty. We may just uh, we may just come in at 5:30 and pray, and however long that uh, you feel impressed to pray, and then we'll just we'll leave. But uh, I just don't feel like that we can neglect getting together for prayer to mean that anymore. I just don't think. Yeah. Amen. Uh, all right, and uh, so there's a lot of uh, events. Uh, Coming up this weekend for young people mainly, but uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the events for young people while you're young. Amen. Praise God. All right, and uh, Brother Jeff, thank you for that teaching this morning. Amen. Amen. It was good stuff. And we're going to uh, call your attention this morning to two uh, two places. Uh, in the scriptures, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, and verse number 1, and then uh, 1 Kings 8, 17, and 18. And I'm going to ask you if you'd be so kind to turn those track lights away now. Alright, here we go. Second Chronicles 2, 1. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. But that first first part of that scripture is really where we're going to go here this morning. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord. All right. And then 1 Kings chapter number 8, verses 17 and 18, it says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And but the Lord said to my father David whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name you did it well. That was in your heart. In other words he's telling David Solomon is making reference back here that this thing started in the heart of my father. And the Lord told him David it was good that this desire inside of your heart was to do something Amen. and so i would like to speak to you this morning on this thought determined to build All right. Amen. Amen. determined to build and uh, i'm going to ask uh, if you'd be so kind just lift your heart to the lord one more time here Mr. Crane, good to see you this morning. All right, and I'm going to ask Brother Jonathan if he would be so kind as to pray this morning. Amen. If you would just lift your heart to the Lord one more time here. Hallelujah. Father, today we thank you once again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the message of salvation. Yes, ask now that your friends will be here in every life as you put your anointing upon your messenger and your word you will be strengthened guided by your wisdom to you walk with you every day in the name of Jesus Christ us alright, amen, God bless you. you, you may be seated the relationship between a father and a son is a powerful and very profound thing amen. it really is how many of you have sons? Maybe you have daughters.
1: <laughs> I mean, you have grandsons.
0: Yeah. Amen. But really, yeah, uh, it is a it is very it's a powerful thing that relationship between, of course, a father and his sons and his daughters. But we're going to focus in here this morning on that relationship between a father. And and uh, and his son, gentlemen. A quote from a gentleman by Frank Clark. He says this. He says, "A father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he meant to be." Good, huh? Amen. And as I was looking here at this uh, this thought throughout uh, several days actually and, and uh, I took a look at a couple of father and son teams that have made history okay now you gotta think about this just for a moment okay and now did your dad have any idea brother Jeff that one day you would be a licensed mentor Probably not. Ah. And you don't, we don't have any idea at the time that our our sons and or our daughters are born, which direction necessarily they're going to go, what they're going to become. We, of course, have good thoughts toward them, and uh, we want to see them very successful and we are always willing as fathers to invest our time and our resources into our kids to make sure that they have more of an opportunity than we have. That's All kind right, of the yeah. key to parenthood. You always want your kids to have more of an opportunity to live an abundant life more than you have. All right. Come on. And so I was looking at this and a couple of father and son teams that have made history. The second president of the United States, John Adams. Number two, how would you like to fill the shoes of George Washington? Right? Pretty big shoes to fill, huh? And of course, he had no idea that his son, John, would become the sixth president of the United States now that is a that is a very powerful statement isn't it yes. because I think we all probably can read between the lines the influence of John senior and the influence that he had on John jr. but to become a father and son team and of course we have more recently we have number 41 and number 43 don't we We all most of us at least i think all of us lived through those years we had george senior bush president number 41 and then who would have ever thought you think they sit down at the dinner table when george jr was three and and uh Dad was in the oil business or whatever he was doing and they looked across the table and they said I just can't wait till I become president and then little George and then a few years later you're going to be president. Probably not. Come on, But there it is. Only two times. And what it kind of caught my attention because I enjoy their music and I hope that's not offensive to you but if you're a music fan of a band by the name of the Eagles, you can look at one of the founding members, Glenn Frey, who passed away several years ago, and the other founding member made a statement they would never play live again, ever. However, the Eagles' music did not die, and instead, Glenn Frey's son, Deacon, grabbed his dad's guitar, stepped into his shoes, and today they're playing live concerts once again. He looks like him and he sings like him. (laughs) If you're a football fan, and I mention the name Manning. Come on, Archie. Whoa. Now that's if you're a football fan, that's some incredible stuff. Archie the father. Quarter, former NFL quarterback with the Saints for many years. He was a good quarterback, but he never won a Super Bowl. But he had two sons named Peyton and Eli who would both become Super Bowl MVP winning quarterbacks. And in fact, there's an old video that they show uh, on a, uh, a sports video and when Peyton is just about this big. A reporter asked him and says, Peyton, who's your favorite quarterback? Peyton says, my dad. But you would have never, there was no way that you would have ever thought that that would ever happen. But it did. Why? Because there was a father that influenced his sons and they caught a desire They caught what that dad had that fueled them into becoming even better than their dad. And then possibly the one of the best stories in all of sports is a baseball story. And it's about a father and a son both playing. On the same team, one playing in left field and one playing center field. The father is 40. The son's 20. It's the first inning of a game played in 1990. The father comes to the plate batting number two in the lineup. And he smacks one out of the park. And his son, Junior, is batting number three in the lineup. And Junior, dad's a 40-year-old dad. He's in the dugout smiling and everybody's congratulating him. And what happens? His son, Junior, gets up to the plate, And I don't know if it was the first pitch, but he smacks one out of the park, a home run, the first and the only time in baseball history That a father and a son went back to back home runs. Now just think about that for a moment. What are the chances of that happening? Come on. Pretty remote. And yet it did. A father and son doing the impossible. And that really is the the focus of our story this morning. Because you see, David and his son Solomon, they did something that has never been duplicated in history. Ever. What did they do? They built the most beautiful temple in all of the world. But in the process, they accomplished something that has never been done and never been repeated before or after. What was that? They both offered such powerful prayers that God answered their prayers by fire out of heaven. Nobody had ever that no father and son combination had ever went to such a place, such a close relationship with God, with such fervor and such desire and such commitment that their prayers produced fire out of heaven. Father and son. Come on, come on, hallelujah. Wow. The only time. How did this father-son combination, what, what caused it? What happened? Three things, really. We're going to talk a little bit about here. One, the desire of David. David is the one that kicked it off. He had a desire in his heart that refused to give up until he he wanted to build a house for God with all of his heart. And then it was his son's determination to get the job done. But then there was another thing. And it was the fire that came down in an answer to the prayer. But it was also, it was the fire inside of David that was somehow transferred over to his son Solomon that, that, that compelled Solomon to complete what his dad had started. Let's look at David. We know the story. David called from the sheepfold. The Bible says that God called him from following sheep to becoming a leader of a nation. He had, once he got going, he moved the ark to Jerusalem. We know that story. How many of you know that story? He messed up the first time, the second time, he got it right. Here's what burned inside of David's heart. The Bible says that in the process of him bringing this ark back into Jerusalem the second time after he'd messed up the first time, we're told that in that process that every six feet, all right? This this was the introduction of the six-foot rule by the (laughs) way. But every six steps that David took, the Bible says that they stopped and David began to worship and sacrifice to the God that burned inside of his heart. Because he was doing something that really had never been done before. He was bringing the ark into the city that God had chosen to put His name there. And he was on the move. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to allow a mistake the first time even though he copped an attitude for about 90 days. But he refused to let failure define the future of the plan of God and he took that ark and those Levites carried it this time. And every six steps that he took, he began to offer a sacrifice and he began to worship God to the point, the Bible says, that he began to dance with not just a part of Him, but he danced with everything that was within him and it caused ridicule to come from the sideline. Yes. yes. He says, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that ark into the place that God chose in the beginning and it was gonna be the center of worship. Jerusalem, he told his people, he said three times a year, everybody comes to Jerusalem to worship. wow and he carried they carried that ark into Jerusalem and there it was put into a tent covering and but that wasn't good enough for David David we're told in 1 Kings 8 and 18 Solomon tells the story he says because it was in your heart to build a house for my name David says, that's not good enough. He says, God, I want to build you the most fabulous temple, the most fabulous place for you to dwell in because we understand the significance of that ark. That ark was the meeting place of God to his people. And so for David... He felt like God really needed a place to to where they could secure that ark. And the people knew that it was in there. And they were met on the outside by the most beautiful building that had ever been built. And in fact, God designed it and he gave the plans to David. God didn't give Sister Kathleen and I the plans for for this building, right? We just kind of we just kind of drew it out on paper, figured out what we wanted, but I but I explained to her that once we added on, there had to be a fireplace. Okay, mm-hmm. there's got to be one. In fact, there's got to be two of them out there. But God, but God. <coughs> He drew up the plans. Come on. And if you read, I, we don't have time to go into the full, complete story here, but if you read that, uh, uh, that story of this process of David and, and Solomon and building, you'll find that David says that some of the plans came in writing, okay, and some of them came by the Spirit. You think God was concerned with the building? Yes. Well, he must have, right? He gave David the plans. Mm-hmm. And he told them what it was going to be made out of. Mm-hmm. And so, this was in David's heart. Just having the ark underneath a tent, it would, it would have been okay for some people. Not David. He says, no, he says, I want to build a house. He told Nathan the prophet that. Nathan in the beginning said, David, do everything that's in your heart. You know, he was the preacher who said, hey, yeah, that's boy, you got a desire to do something for God? Go for it. You know, you want to you do something for God? Go, man. Come on. Hello? Yeah. Oh. And then A little bit later, God speaks to Nathan. He says, no, 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 Nathan. You jumped the gun there, son. Mm -hmm. He says, you go back and tell David he can't do it. Because he's a warrior. But you tell him that I'm going to build him a house. In fact, he is going to give birth to a son. In fact, there will never be a fault line or a gap between David's sons and the kingship of Israel. He said, there will be, I am going to make a covenant with David because of his desire to do this for me. The Bible says that God made a covenant with David. He said, David, you have a desire to build me a house. That's a good thing. He says, but you, i got no idea. He says, I'm going to build your house in such a way that literally the Messiah will come from your ancestry. David had a desire to do something for God. Historians say David's desire to build for God would cover a period of 37 years. 37 years. And so, Nathan tells David, David, you can't, sorry, you can't do that now. David, remember, he had an attitude when he made a mistake before and tried to move the ark in. Now you would have thought possibly that David would have maybe reverted back to that attitude and said, well, fine then. Let somebody else do it. No. What happened was that instead of David getting anger, David was compelled to gather all the materials and prepare for his son to build. And we'll look at this a little bit a little bit later. And so even the old even though the ark was inside Jerusalem, David still had not received word from God as to the site where the temple would be built. And toward the end of David's kingship, they say possibly in the last couple of years of his reign that David, in his old age, after building this, you know, God using him, they build this big country. David is concerned. He likes the number. David's a warrior. That's right. He likes the idea that he has built. Remember when he was in the cave of Abdullah? And they started with 400 depressed you know, homeless people. And he looks out there now, God has given him victory over every enemy. And he's looking out at the congregation, and he says, whoa, this is good stuff. He is towards probably the last two years of his kingship, and he there's just something he would like to know how many people showed up today. he says, Joab, no number of these guys, the fighting force. Joab says, oh, no, 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 no. David, that's a no, no. Because God commanded them. They were never to take a number of their military because God wanted them to understand that That they were dependent upon Him to give them the victory even on the battlefield. Joab says, David, that's not a very smart thing to do. But the Bible says that the voice of the king stood. They come back out. Joab, he comes back and he says, well, looks, I think the number came out to be about 500,000. 500,000 but God wasn't happy God sends a plague that ends up taking the lives of 70,000 people I don't know about you how many of you ever made a mistake in life nobody but me how many of you ever made a mistake while you were serving God? Sure. How many of you ever made a mistake while you were trying to do something for God that costed 70,000 people their lives? Do you get the idea how big this mistake was of David's? big. How many of you think it was big? 70,000. And so the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 21 that there's a new preacher in, in town. His name's Gad. He tells David, he says, David, in order to stop this plague from going into Jerusalem, you need to go to the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite and build an altar there. Jebusites were not the most loved people in the world. A matter of fact, if I'm correct, they were the very ones that were inside Jerusalem when David overthrew it and they mocked him and said, you'll never do it. God is telling David to go to the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite and build an altar. Why a threshing floor? Let me stop there for just a minute. Okay, and listen. God was leading David in to building an altar that would produce a always is going to be about producing a harvest. There will always be a direct link between altar building and a harvest of souls. There will always be a link there. The altar is a place where God wants us to to think and to pray about the Lord of the harvest. It's about lost humanity. It's about going to that Jebusite who is no good for nothing in the eyes of Israel. And David, because of the mistake that he made, God saying, David, you need to take on a robe of humility. You need to go to that place. And you need to go to His blessing floor. And I want you to build an altar right in front of that person. I wonder what would happen we build an altar in front of our enemy. We kneel before our enemy. I read a book one time, a powerful book about a man that traveled literally the world with a pan and a towel. He traveled the world because he felt like God had impressed him to wash the feet of everybody that he met, including lepers. Why the threshing floor? The harvest? It's the separation of the chaff from the grain. It's a place that separates real altars from idle altars. It's a place where Dave, the Bible says that David built that altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. It's a place where there is a separation between who you believe God is and who you know that God is because He answers you in your time of need. It's about calling on the name of Jesus. Amen. Or maybe it was to remind David of his ancestry. Listen carefully. You see, his grandmother Ruth was a Moabite who was redeemed by Boaz at midnight on the threshing floor in the book of Ruth. Who was Ruth? Ruth would become, she would give birth to David's father, Obed. It was a reminder not just to David but to the church that your ancestry did not come from a pure pedigree that it has been stained with sin and corruption your father was corrupt like mine was it was a reminder to David that it was at the threshing floor that his grandmother who had no hope as a Moabite lady but she committed she was determined to travel with her mother-in-law Naomi and it ended up 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 at a midnight call at the threshing floor. Wow. Where were you redeemed? So here's David. He goes up. He says, "Orning." I, I I need to build an altar on your property for for, for God. Turn and says, "Hey, take everything you want." David says, "No, sir." He says, "I will never offer God anything that does not come to me paying the full price." Amen. Come on. You see, that's what. Pardon me, but I I am convinced that. There's a large portion of our altar calls, okay, and I don't mean that just here, but there's a large portion of our altar calls that are, if I, if you don't, please don't get the, get offended at me, but they 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 come at a bargain price sell, and instead of putting our entire life's blood and heart, mind and soul into it and waiting for that personal Pentecostal experience yes. to fall from God from heaven's throne that we get up too soon. We pay 50 cents on the dollar. Come on. David says, no sir, I have oh, never given God anything yeah. less than whatever my all is. There it was, the Bible says, David built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord and God answered David from heaven by fire upon that altar. Praise God. In the midst of making the, 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 the worst mistake that you could possibly make, And God still honors that altar of sacrifice, Yes, sir, you know why? Because David always had that burning desire in his life that he just wanted to give God his all. And that's why God says, He is a man after my own heart. You see... That fire came and still does today. In the midst of our worst mistakes, in the middle of our worst failures, you still can build an altar and call upon the name of Jesus. And He will answer you in a way that you can be assured that He has healed your plague. Because if it wasn't that way, we'd all be in big trouble. So then, the Bible tells us here that David, in the next verse, the Bible says, and David called that place the house of the Lord. It was the beginning of something that had started in his life over 30 years ago, and he finally now had the location to begin build even though he was not going to be the one to build. Here's what in 1st Chronicles 22 and 5 but David prepared abundantly before his death. Here's what he did folks. Listen to this. He accumulated Two point four trillion dollars in gold and silver. Those were the numbers computed two thousand and nine, according to the commentator that I'm. You look thirty-four hundred tons of gold. Yeah. Understand? He he realized it. He was in the process of building and contributing and investing in something that he would never see. But the Bible says that he had such a desire to do something for God that he was going to invest everything that he had until the time that he breathed his last breath. And so 2.4 trillion dollars. not billion. Come on. He would go on. He set in order 24,000 Levites to supervise the temple. He set in place 6,000 Levites as temple judges. 4,000 temple guards. 4,000 musicians. A temple choir of 288, and he held a special service as he handed over the blueprints to Solomon in First Chronicles 28 and 19. There, as he handed those over, he said, "Solomon, today we're going to celebrate because I got the location that we're going to build." And the Bible says that in the celebration that David sacrificed 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, 1,000 lambs, just because he was so absolutely ecstatic that he had found the place God had answered, and he was handing the plans over to his son. By the way, God didn't call Solomon Solomon David and Bathsheba called him Solomon. I know, but God sent a word by Nathan. He says, no, God says his name is Jedidiah. Jedidiah, beloved of God. <sighs> Didn't have the right, you know, it was something, his birth, his you know, him growing up, probably he didn't like when the kids at school asked him, Hey, you know, what's history about your mom and dad? We well, hear a little bit of weird, you know, that your dad, like, like your mom was married before and like your dad had her husband killed. I mean, Solomon, is that, is that accurate? <laughs> Just saying. Do you that, know it, but God said, Hey, it is not the child's fault ever. Ever. It is never the newborn's fault. God always loves the newborn. He died for the newborn. He died for your new birth. It's never about the newborn. He is innocent. God says, I love him but most of all what David passed on to Solomon was his fire his passion he could say Solomon son, I want you to know That God gave me something that is so powerful. I want you to know, Solomon, that you can call on the name of the Lord and he will hear you and he will answer you. I want you to know, Solomon, that I'm passing on to you. Listen to this. He passed on to his son God's plans for his life. Hello, parents. Yeah. do you have the blueprint Come on. Come on. are you taking the time to pass it on to your to your children Amen. Come on. are you taking the time to say this is God's plan for your life Solomon <laughs> but what he did was he the Bible says that Solomon was determined to build a house. For the name of the Lord. Because he had. Inherited. Not just the plans. And he had inherited. That determination. That persistence. He inherited that fire zeal. For his God. That came from his. Yes. Yes. First Chronicles twenty nine twenty five. And the Lord magnified Solomon. First Kings 3 and 3. And Solomon loved the Lord. And he offered 1,000 sacrifices and God gave him a dream. We know all of that. And Solomon determined to build a house for the Lord. David passed on like all earthly people do, but Acts 13 and 13, I think it is, but it wasn't before David served his generation. Then he went to sleep, but but he served his generation. He passed on the blueprint to another generation and he could tell them that God had started a fire in his prayer life that was going to transcend his generation and flow into another one. So Solomon inherited so many good things. God loved him. And Solomon began, he assembled 185,000 men, seven years in building. While they were building as they were hammering out these marble stones and they were bringing them into the temple site, we're told that there was no sound of chisel, no sound of axe, no sound of hammer on side. In other words, they were perfectly cut when they rolled into the house of God and they just put them in place with mortar. I want you to know this morning that there is no axes to grind. There is no hammers to hammer over people's heads, There is mercy. There is grace. There is love offered to the world. But it is not to leave you in a place of depression and sin and depravity. It's to release you. It's to break those chains of darkness. It's to call you out of the world and place you into the family of Jesus Christ. No sound of chisel, no axes to cry, no hammers. And this is just so mind blowing. At the dedication, I've read so many times that I have to read it again and again because it's just mind boggling. You got to understand, at the dedication of this $2.4 trillion, magnificent house of God that God finally was able to find a place adorned as He should be in pure gold and marble. And there the ark rested. And during this dedication there were hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that had gathered for this Incredible once in a lifetime dedication of the house of God. It wasn't just any old church, it was the all magnificent temple of God that was built in Jerusalem. Which they tell me is the center point of the world. David says, I'm going to build it, I want to build it, and it's got to be so magnificent that people are going to be drawn because of the beauty, and they're going to say, What is going on? And that people would be able to say, Inside is the presence of our God. Oh, amen. And He's worthy. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands in attendance. In Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, Solomon begins to pray. He begins to pray. And when he is done, the Bible says that fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house." Amen. Never been done. Never will be repeated. A father whose dedication was so vibrant and so strong That when he prayed in the midst of the worst failure that you could possibly do, God still answered his prayer. Because why? Because he had a heart that was totally sold out to God. And he passed that fire. He passed the fire that he started He passed it to his son. He passed it to another generation. How do you know that he passed that fire on? Because his son caught on fire. And when he prayed that God answered him just like his daddy If my people who are called by my name, Solomon prayed at the dedication. He says, Lord, in this place, if your people sin, if we go astray, if my sons and my daughters make mistakes, he says, I need the assurance that you're going to forgive them that you're going to hear them. That what we passed on to them is still, it's still valid. It's still certifiable. It still works. And Solomon said This prayer, my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. He says you can always count on this that, that if they seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal them. our forefathers and the first century church they understood this the book of Acts the great book our go to book if you will 1336 tells us the apostles the first church they said yeah we know David He served God in his generation. Before he fell asleep, he served God. He was a witness to his generation. You see the church of Acts? They prayed their way into an outpouring. Didn't come praying. Sometimes we read that book of Acts and we think it's a given. Not what I read. No, They had a prayer meeting. They prayed their way through to an outpouring and when it came, it came as cloven comes as a fire. Because John told them, John said, hey, I can baptize you with water. He says, but there's one coming after me. He says, and he's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Please understand this morning, young people, or whoever, that when God baptizes you with the with the Holy Ghost, it's not just a plaything. It is an absolutely fire yes, of redemption on. that is meant not to just give you power and not just to redeem you, but it's to empower you to be a witness to your generation. And it is for you. It is for you to not only—you've got to start your own fire. You cannot inherit this thing from your parents, young people. If you're a second-generation apostolic Christian, it's not something you can't inherit the fire. You can inherit the blueprint. But you'll never inherit the fire. It has to come when you build your own altar and you pray to such a degree that when you get up, you are filled with that heavenly presence of God in your life. Every generation must have the desire, the determination to build their own altars of sacrifice and start their own fire. The starting point of all achievement, they say, is desire. Determinations or persistence is stubbornness with purpose. The only thing that stands between dreams and reality is determination and persistence. All right, As you stand with us today. The greatest thing that I can believe listen to a man. The greatest thing that you can do as a parent, the greatest thing that you can do as a parent is to pass this blueprint on to your children. Amen. Come on, folks. Amen. Jesus is coming. Yes. The rapture is going to take place probably sooner than we think Come it's on. You're on it is. We need to make sure that the next generation those that you have given for we need to make sure that the blueprint is very, very carefully passed into their hands and they understand that it came from God, not you. It came from God. But then even, here's, here's, the, here's the other deal, is the greatest gift that I can leave to you, the greatest gift that I can leave to my family, is not the bank account that won't exist. A couple of cars. But the greatest gift that I can leave this church, the greatest gift that I can leave my family, you know what it is? It's the fire that I started in my generation that I refuse to let it go out. It's the greatest gift, Sister Sarah, that I can give to the next generation is the fire that I started. The fire that I have kept, And the fire that I tell you that you must also start in your own personal life. You've got to have an altar. You've got to have a prayer life. They've got to be a combination that ignites your soul into realizing that time is Short and the go. message must go on. Yeah, it's the only thing Come on. that I want to leave. I want to. The next guy that comes, we will be out of debt. Understand? This church will be debt free. Come on, amen. And or we will have a. A sanctuary in the process of building Come on. but that's but that's not that's not my that's not my thing right that's not my thing it's not my thing my thing is gee dog i want to i want to just i want to not just give you the blueprint, I want to somehow convey, if I could have a mantle of fire, if I could have this passion that burns, inside. So, if I could somehow just give that to you, that you could move your generation into a place of revival because the church, the church is called on for such a time as this. So we close this morning and I say thank you for being here but I say please, please, please look up the day's approaching and whatever witness that you have right now you understand? Whatever witness that you have right now, Brother Jeff whatever witness that you have right now is the only thing that you can convey to lost humanity. You cannot give them something that you do not have. If you have a lukewarmness about you, then that is the only thing that you can pass on to another generation and to your children and your family. You've got to be on fire. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. It's got to burn inside of you. It is the thing that will purify. It's the thing that will set the world on fire. Not a worldly fire, but a godly fire. you got to pass it on. So we simply call you today. We ask you if you would like to come this morning. And reinforce or build afresh. Come on. If you would like to build a new altar, if you would like to ask God, say, Lord, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put something on this altar that I've never put on the altar before, because I know that it is not just about me. Understand? It's not just about me, but it's about what I leave, what I pass on to. A generation, even the Bible says a generation is still in the womb. There's a generation still in the womb of the church. What will they inherit from me? What might I pass on to them? Would you pray this morning if you need healing, if you need a miracle? The healer's here. The great physician is here today. The healer is here today. Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you you just lift your hearts to the Lord? Would you ask Him to help us as individuals and as a church family that we we want we want to get to a place where it is an absolutely Holy Ghost outpouring revival that's occurring inside here? Why? Because He's worth it. Because He deserves it. We can do is give him our best. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.